How do you pray for the will of God when you don't know it? How do you trust in the will of God when you don't understand it? How do you fulfill the will of God when you're in the dark about the details? Well, Paul answers these questions in our text for today. And these are questions that most of us would like to have answered, so let's get right to it. We're in Romans, the 8th chapter, and we're going to be studying verses 26 through 30. We begin with the matter of praying for the will of God. Romans 8, 26 through 27. And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he interceded for the saints according to the will of God. You know, most of us realize that God has not promised to be our genie in a bottle and grant our every wish. It is true that Jesus said, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you in the Sermon on the Mount. But he put some conditions on it in John 15, 7. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. Likewise, James said, you do not have because you do not ask. But then he added, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. And John, writing in 1 John 5, 14, said, and this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will... He hears us. But what if you don't know his will? Now, sometimes even when we are abiding in Christ and his word is abiding in us and we've searched his word for direction and our motives are of the highest order, we still don't know his will. We can't see into the future. So how do we know God's will for something that is most likely just one link in a chain of unforeseen events? How do we know his will? Most of the time, we don't. So how do we pray? In fact, should we even pray if we don't know God's will in a particular situation? You know, some might suggest that we should remain silent and simply adopt a Doris uh, Day Kesara-Sara attitude. What will be, will be. But that goes counter to all the admonitions in Scripture to pray. God wants us to pray. He wants us to be involved in what he's doing. He wants us to be open and honest with him. He wants us to express What's on our heart? But he also wants us to be in full surrender to his will. So 
How do we do that in prayer? Well, Jesus did it in the Garden of Gethsemane by adding, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. So is that all we need to do? Should we just add an escape clause to our prayers and trust that if what we've been asking for isn't within God's will, that he'll just ignore it and do what he knows is best? If that's the case, why pray anything except thy will be done? Why sweat drops of blood in anguished prayer if at the end we're going to say, don't pay any attention to me, just do whatever you want. Obviously, that's not what God wants, and that's not what Jesus was doing. Even though he was God and was with God when the plan was initiated, as a man, Jesus had to struggle to understand and accept God's will for him as he prayed in the garden. He had to go over all the options, all the possibilities, and prepare himself to accept that which would be best, even if, as a man, he didn't fully understand it or or like it. It went much deeper than just tacking on an escape clause. It was a spiritual experience that brought him into close fellowship with his father, even while separated from him, and enabled him to fully surrender to God's will. And that will happen to us in prayer if we let the Spirit help us, if we'll let the Spirit intercede on our behalf and express the inexpressible anguish we feel as we struggle to understand and accept God's will. You know, the Spirit is able to communicate what's on our heart far better than any words we can put together. So we should strive for a point in our prayers where we stop trying to put everything into words and just let the divine within us appeal to the divine above us. Now, that does not mean we stop thinking or speaking in prayer that we just go on autopilot and let the Spirit take care of our prayer life. It means that after we have expressed everything that's on our heart and we earnestly sought to know God's will, we acknowledge that our understanding of the situation is limited. And we trust the Spirit to take over at that point and finish our prayers in a way that will assure us of praying within God's will. When that happens, we have peace. We know that we have surrendered to his will. We've expressed everything that's on our heart. We've searched to know his will. We've searched his word. But in the end, we said, your will be done. You know the situation better than I. And so we surrender our will to his. His will has become our will. And even if we don't understand everything that's happening, we trust that his will is being done in keeping with our prayers. 
And that keeps us trusting in the will of God. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. When we pray according to the will of God, we have the guarantee that God's will is being done in our life. We may not understand how everything that's happening to us fits into God's will for us, but we know it does. Romans 8.28 assures us that it does. And it assures us that everything that happens fits into a pattern for good. That's the way J.B. Phillips translates it. Everything that happens fits into a pattern for good. Now again, that's not to say everything that happens is good, nor that everything that happens is God's will. You know, it's not God's will for bad things to happen. It might be his permissive will, as the theologians put it, but it's not his perfect will. It is not God's will for babies to die and planes to crash and hospitals to be full. He does allow these things to happen in a fallen, sinful world, but these things are not his will. They are the consequences of sin. Romans has made that very clear to us. But the promise we have in Romans 8:28 is that God can take all these bad things and bring good out of them. Now, the best manuscripts really don't say God causes all things to work together for good. The text actually says all things work together for good. But it is understood that God is the one who is at work here. Things don't just work themselves out. God is the one who is working them out. He's the one who can take bad things and make them fit into a pattern for good. Now, he doesn't just automatically do that. Everything is not going to turn out all right for everyone. Some things are going to turn out bad. And some people are going to reap the consequences of sin for all eternity. But those who love God, who are called according to his purpose, have the promise that he will be actively involved in bringing good out of the bad things that happen. You know, God is big enough to do that. There's nothing so bad that he can't cause good to come from it. He even brought good from the death of his own son. Surely we can trust him to bring good out of the bad things that happen to us. Again, we don't have to understand how everything fits into a pattern for good. All we have to do is trust that God can and will cause it to happen. If we love him 
and have responded to his call, if we have surrendered to his purpose for our life, we can have every confidence that he is actively involved in our life and that he will make sure that everything that happens to us works for our ultimate good. That's not, going to, that's not to say we're going to like everything that happens to us or that we're going to like everything God does to bring good out of the bad things that happen. You know, we don't like everything the doctor does to us, but we trust he has our best interest at heart when he sticks us with needles and cuts us open. Sure, it causes pain for the moment, but we trust it's going to be worth it. We trust that the doctor knows what he's doing. Likewise, we trust that God knows what he's doing as he works to bring good out of the bad things that happen to us. And while we may not understand all the steps along the way, we do know what God's ultimate will is for us. And knowing that enables us to be actively involved in fulfilling the will of God. Verses 29 and 30. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. God's will for us is quite simply that we be conformed to the image of his Son. God's will is that Jesus might only be the firstborn among many brethren. He wants lots of children who act and think and love and serve like his son. That's God's will for us. He has predestined us to become conformed to the image of his son. That has been his plan from the foundation of the world. Now, there's no need to let the word predestined throw us into theological fits. We'll do that when we get to the ninth chapter. All Paul is saying here is that God has a plan for our life. That when God looked through the ages and saw those who would respond to his call, he set in motion a plan that would enable them to become just like his son. He called us to himself and offered to adopt us back into his family. He then justified us, made us sinless in his eyes through the blood of Christ. And then he glorified us. I really like the way Paul puts glorified in the past tense. It's a done deal. 
We've been glorified. Now, we haven't fully realized it. That's why creation is groaning, and we're groaning, and the spirit within us is groaning. But it's a sure thing. It's a sure thing. Someday we will be just like Jesus if we stay committed to that goal. That is all we really need to know. We don't need to understand every little detail of the plan to accept it. We don't have to be able to see how God is causing all things to work together for our good. We don't even have to be able to verbalize the will of God in prayer to be able to pray for it. All we need to do is surrender to it and trust that he will work out his will in our life. If the most important thing in your life is becoming like Jesus, you don't have to worry about the will of God. You are in it. And it is being accomplished. The spirit within you is praying for it. And God is working out the details. All you need do is surrender and stay surrendered to his will. Just cooperate with him as he makes you into the image of his son. We worry about the details all the time. What's God's will in this and God's will in that? Is it God's will that I change jobs? Is this God's will that I date somebody different? Is it whatever? Is it God's will that I spend money on a new car? Is it God? Come on. God's will is that you be like Jesus. And if that is your greatest desire, his will will be done if you surrender to it. And he'll take care of the little things, okay? Even your microphone. He takes care of them. And if you've truly surrendered to his will, you can have confidence that his will is being worked out. You don't have to be anxious about it. Once you've acknowledged you want his will to be done, Trust that it is being done. Don't keep hashing it over. Is this really what he wants me to do? Just do it in faith. And even if you make a bad decision, he'll use that bad decision to bring something good out in the end because you trusted him. This makes so much sense. And it frees us. Frees us to enjoy that relationship of trust with our Heavenly Father. We live in a world that is just anxious about everything. I get so sick and tired of reading the paper. And everybody telling me what might happen next if this happens or that happens. They don't know. They want me to be afraid. They want me to trust somebody out there. It's a done deal. I know who I trust. Okay? I know who's in control. And I know his will for me. 
his will for you is to become like his son. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to die to self so we can rise to walk in newness of life, reflecting Jesus in what we say and do? Have we surrendered to his lordship? That's not a negative. That's a very positive thing because that frees us to have the assurance that we're walking in the will of God. Surrender to his will. Acknowledge it and let him work it out. And look forward to the day when we are fully glorified in the image of his son. That's the good news of Jesus. Let's stand.